This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, our weekly episode. I hope everyone's doing well. I am one of your hosts, Anthony Cazenza. Welcome to the program. And I'm flanked, as usual, by my co-host, John Sheeran. John, I wish there was more to talk about this week, man. It's just uh, dead air as it concerns the Cincinnati Bengals and the NFL, right? Sarcasm aside, that was one of your strongest intros I've ever heard you have. You think so? Yeah, that was very commendable. I applaud you. It's almost like you're in a good mood right now as a Bengals fan. Well, was that also sarcasm? No, it was not sarcasm. Oh, okay. I said sarca- okay. Sarcasm aside, because you're obviously un- introing with sarcasm. <laughs> well, I, could, I, I mean, I, I could do it again. I could, I could, I could say cut, and we can re- we could scrap it if it's not good. But anyway. You're one take man, one take man. I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, welcome to the program, everybody. For those of you joining us live, whether it's through CincyJungle.com, the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel, or Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, this uh, you you can join us live every episode there. Or, as always, you can join the program uh, after the fact through a number of different audio platforms or the YouTube channel as well. So subscribe to the channels. Get notified when we go live and when new content is available. We've had a ton of uh, good content, I think, recently. Our own John Sheeran interviewed Austin Gale at Pro Football Focus last week. We've got a couple of interesting things coming up from Matt Minnick, uh, both in the film study area and an interview there. So a lot of stuff. We've been bringing you a lot of stuff. And this is kind of the time of year when everything's ramping up, information rumors, all that stuff, because free agency is right around the corner, as is the NFL draft. John, you uh, you went to Columbus last week. How was, uh, how was Buckeye Buckeye area? that treat you well over there? Very cold, and on like I feel washed for the first time in my life, and it's very sad to say that, but like I, I came back, and I noticeably had heartburn for like the first time. I'm <laughs> okay. like, this is, this is not supposed to happen to me. I'm like, only 23, but... <laughs> I think I think I had my last vodka Red Bull of my life, unfortunately. So rest, rest in peace. Okay. All right. Well, uh, energy drinks and vodka, uh, I guess, are not be sponsoring this show. Anyway, uh, you know, we could BS all night, and we can uh, because there's just not much to talk about, my friend. Again, with the sarcasm, Anthony. Uh, look. We've, we've been saying this for a really long time, really over the past month, since these rumors, this hype, anti-Bengals hype machine that was, has been created from the likes of Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk and Dan Patrick from his own show, maybe even Rich Eisen got in the fray, CBS Sports. I mean, all kinds of people have been on this hype train that Joe Burrow does not want to play in Cincinnati. He has made limited interview uh, appearances over the past couple of uh, really over these past few weeks until of course the combine which kicked off this week he got to the podium um, an immense amount of media members were there and lo and behold john he dispelled all of the rumors with just a couple of quotes and one of them is saying look i want to be the number one pick I, i it's every kid's dream i never said i never wanted to play in cincinnati you guys took that rumor and ran with it surprised at what he said not surprised your reactions. It's exactly what we should have expected him to say. Because <laughs> like there was only there was only one tiny quote that people misquoted or misunderstood, and it was the leverage comment. And naturally for people who don't like to look at all the context and you know re reread what they read, it, it could be, you know, misconstrued in a way where he could use his leverage, but that was dispelled also at the combine where he like everyone who knew the situation knew that he was talking about leveraging his 2019 season into not working out of the combine, which was also expected. He's not going to throw or work out in the drills this week. He's going to say that for maybe his pro day, but it doesn't matter because he met with the Bengals there. He met with Mike Brown and everyone else that mattered there. And they were essentially signing off on the pick. Everything now is due diligence. There's nothing more that Burrow needs to do. He said everything that he needs to say, and it's really up to the media's job to interpret that in the right way because now they're dealing with concrete statements or they're dealing with stuff where there is no extra context needed. He's saying things plain and simple that everybody, at least Bengals fans and Bengals writers knew about this. But I guess the national media took a little bit longer. And again, I don't, I don't want to vilify the media like a lot of Bengals fans want to do right. because their, their job is a lot harder than our job. They have to focus on 32 teams. Some of them have to focus on multiple sports. They only read the headlines that other people post. They don't, 
necessarily dive into the local media, but this is why the local media is so important because the athletic ESPN and ben, with Ben baby, Paul Dinner Jr. Jay Morrison for the athletic Ben baby for ESPN uh, us at Cincy jungle. We've done a great job of, you know, diving into this a little bit more in depth than what the national media has been doing. And that's why there's value into that because sometimes you can get lost in some of these quotes that you read on, on these national websites. And that's where all the stuff from pro football talk kind of comes from. So it was good for all this to be aired out, but unfortunately it's not going to be completely over because there are some narratives and agendas for these guys to push. Unfortunately, it just becomes worse now because there is actual concrete, you know, evidence out there that should dispel all this BS out there. But you know, again, it was, there was never anything to worry about, and now there's officially nothing to worry about. There is officially nothing to worry about, but it's still so funny to me, John, that some of these folks that have been trying to push this, I don't know if you want to call it an agenda or whatever you want to call it, it even the walkbacks, they weren't even full walkbacks. They would they didn't want to, they didn't even want to like say I was wrong or you know, I, it was surprising to hear him say that, but you know, it is what he said. I mean, if you listen to something from Mike Florio, it basically was, you know, he had an interview with, I think it was Keenan Singleton of, of local mm-hmm. media. And he, even he was kind of like, Hey, you know, I had my reasons for just for saying this and blah, blah, blah. And they weren't even great reasons. And he didn't kind of, I mean, I, I didn't expect an apology or anything. It was just kind of like the walk back wasn't even like, Hey, I was wrong here. You know, it, it's just, and even after he said that, I think it was pardon, uh, pardon the interruption or, or uh, with Kornheiser and Wilbon. I think there was some more chatter there the same day. It just was like, what? Um, but as we all can now take a deep breath and relax, if you weren't relaxed already, Joe Burrow has basically stated that, yeah, he wants to go number one overall. Yeah, he's fine if it's Cincinnati that takes him. It just depends on the situation and he kind of explained his leverage comment and a number of other comments that he made, as you mentioned there, John, the other, uh, so the Bengals met with him on Wednesday. We, we don't really know the details as of, you know, the ins and outs of that interview or that sit down, but uh, one is inclined to think that it went well. The team also met with Tua Tagovailoa uh, on, on Tuesday. So they had a sit down with him um, obviously doing their due diligence. So kind of going through some news and notes on that front. Um, you know, I, it, Tua came out and kind of said, hey, I'd be stoked to go number one. And it doesn't matter who. So he's kind of dispelling that as well. The other big thing with Joe Burrow, at least, John, is the hand size thing. Um, hand gate. <laughs> uh, so he measured in with nine inch hands. And I guess if you were to kind of do your hands, what you're, you're, tip of your thumb to actually your pinky, right? That's how they measure mm-hmm. the, the hand size. That is on the smallish side. How much does this factor into his ability? I mean, his ability to throw the ball, his ability to be an NFL quarterback, all of these things that get scrutinized at this point, or is this simple paralysis by over-analysis? So I, I, I jumped at the opportunity to write about this. I have something about this on Cincy Jungle, and it explains why this isn't that big of a concern as people want to make it out to be. The thing with like measurements in, in terms of like body measurements for the full physical profile that NFL teams get is that the, it only matters if it doesn't pass a certain threshold. And um, I, I like to quote and cite James Coburn a lot when it comes to this type of stuff. He does a lot of football analytics that deals with market share and density-based athletics density-based athleticism and he also has gone back and, and seen you know w- what measurements are required for to to typically turn out um high quality careers and when it came to hand size for quarterbacks nine inches is like the minimum threshold and you don't get bonus points for having a 10 inch hand like it, it, it's just like the bench press it's like you some some positions typically you would like to see you know players hit a certain number of reps on the bench but having a large bench press doesn't really do you any favors. Like Russell Bona had like 42 reps on the bench. Obviously that, that functional strength didn't translate with quarterbacks and hand sizes. It's really only a problem if it has shown to have been a problem in the past. In his 28 starts at LSU, Joe Burrow fumbled the ball five times in his, in Justin Herbert's 43 starts at Oregon. He fumbled the ball 26 times. Justin Herbert measured him with 10 inch hands, but nobody blinked an eye because he's the, those are big hand sizes. And you would think, but theoretically the bigger your hand is the harder it is to fumble the ball, the harder it is for the ball to flutter out of your hands, the harder it, it is for defensive ends to strip sag you. If it wasn't a problem at LSU, you know, it's not going to be a problem in Cincinnati in, in, in even harsher conditions. I think Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus asked Zach Robinson, he used to work at Pro Football Focus, but now 
is the assistant quarterbacks coach for the Rams. He's Robinson also had nine a chance. So we asked him what, what really gave him troubles w- with that size. And, and he said it wasn't really the cold for him. It was really more the humid weather. And believe it or not, you know, Burrow played most of his games in a, in a swamp in Louisiana. So it, de- it depends, you know, based, based on who the quarterback is, what is going to give him trouble with, with that limitation. Obviously, Teddy Bridgewater had to wear gloves because he had pretty small hands, and that worked for him. He was still an accurate passer with that. Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo just played in the Super Bowl. Both those guys had, you know, I think, nine and a quarter-inch hands. Ryan Tannehill has, like, nine-inch hands. Jared Goff has nine-inch hands. Colin Kaepernick had nine and one-eighth-inch hands. There's a lot of guys who just carve out, you know, um, varying levels of success in the NFL. It's not, an, it's not a hindrance if it wasn't a hindrance in college, and it's nothing to be worried about with Joe Burrow. I agree. And I think that the look, the combine is often it's it's a tool in the pre-draft process that allows teams to go back and look at film on guys for various reasons. And some of that is, hey, you know, this guy measured a certain way. Did he play that way or he ran this fast? What was it like on tape? How did that translate on tape? Or a guy who has an excellent workout that may be an under-the-radar guy, hey, we got to go back and look at this guy, and maybe we missed something uh, in our in our film review. Or you kind of, if you tend to overanalyze a player, you say, let's just, you know what, let's go back and look at the tape. If, if the tape is successful, if he's shown great success on tape, despite maybe a perceived shortcoming like these small myths that Burrow supposedly has, you know, I, I think I think teams would go back and say, look, you know, let's rely on the tape. Let's rely a little bit more on some of the eye test stuff that we see and even so, somewhat live because some of these scouts have seen them live. So I think that that's part of the pros and cons with the combine, John, is that, you know, sometimes you get a little too nitpicky and other times though, it causes you to go back and look at, at certain players to say, wow, this guy actually shows more on tape the second time around than we saw and, or his analytics are now matching up to what we see on tape. Exactly. And, you know, people want players with the full athletic profile. They want whatever looks the best on paper. They want these guys to excel at, at every drill conceivable they want them to be big they want them to be fast they want them to look the part and that, that's all fine and dandy that's 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 natural when when in reality you know what matters in terms of athleticism varies by different positions for example for pass catchers for running backs receivers tight ends for at least for running backs and wide receivers you don't really need to be an all-around great athlete to have to have a successful career in fact for wide receivers you really only really need one above average athletic trait like cooper cup is a, is a great example of this where he ran like a 4 7 40 he had minimal explosion he was also very small and when, when you put those when you put that speed in those explosion numbers compared to his density they were you know 20th percentile but he tested very well in the agility drills in, in terms of the three on the short shuttle he showed to be a flexible athlete and that's where he wins like he is a shifty route runner that can you know create separation underneath with his sudden quickness and whatever that's where he wins chad johnson was another jet but he wasn't a great all around athlete but he also he also had slightly above average flexibility and that's where he won as a route runner um all around athleticism matters more for def- for defenders and, and i think of it like i think of it like this it's much it's much easier for defenders to get exposed in space Whereas if they lack explosion, if they lack sideline to sideline speed, if they can't change direction, they can get more easily exposed to these pass catchers. They really only need to win in one way. Like there are some receivers who win just with speed. There are really some running backs who win just with explosions as, as those one cutbacks. For defenders, it's more important to have that all around athleticism. And I think that's the context that is missed a lot with the combine, where they worry about you know some of these guys don't have these great all around athletic profiles. When in reality, it, it's just some traits matter more for others than, than others. And I think the main thing that we as a community need to recognize is that athleticism does matter for offensive linemen. I think the Bengals are also a good example of this, whereas they didn't have the athletes to run the scheme that they wanted to run. They didn't have the athletes that can block in space, that can get out in space on these lateral movements and in this zone scheme. And as a result, they had to completely change their blocking scheme entirely. For athlete, for offensive tackles, you need to have explosion. You need to, ha- you need to have um that that shows up in the 40 yard dash to get out in space and pass protection for guards you need to have explosion to get out into the second level and the same goes for centers so i think as time goes on the more information comes out about why athleticism matters for, for some positions more than others we start to get a better understanding about why some players bust 
and why some players you know succeed even though they, they weren't these you know they didn't necessarily go to big schools or maybe their tape wasn't as good as some other guys so the combine in itself is a confirmation process where it's like teams have a general idea about what, what a player's athleticism is or not on tape and then they look at the numbers and they see okay does this match up with with my initial priors and if not what did I miss on tape? And also just having that context about what matters and what doesn't matter, I think can help us make better decisions. And I know obviously not every decision maker and evaluator has fully adopted this. And I understand because it's still relatively new, but I think the more that we understand it, the more we can look at some picks and recognize if they have bus potential or not. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, just kind of a more big picture look at, you know, the, the burst, an acceleration of a lot of positions, um, whether that, and, and, you know, you kind of mentioned your 10 yard splits, right? That sort of thing, your, your cone drills, uh, sometimes the vertical jumps, the, lo- the long jumps, those types of things for specific positions are the things that you want to look for uh, and, and the things that really can translate well for a lot of different positions. So I think in that respect, um, those are some of the areas you need to look at as the Bengals uh, make their evaluations. And really, again, it seems that Burrow is, they're sold on Burrow being their guy and rightfully so. And I don't think regardless of this measurement and how it's being a little bit overblown uh, of his hand measurement, that is, I don't think that affects the way they think about him. I think they're going to see what they see on tape. They know what they know about him by now. And uh, he is their guy. So And, and just real quick, um, because we talked about that meeting, there was an article that Jeff Hobson put up like right after, I guess, the meeting happened. And he had this little quote that I want to read out. During the 18-minute interview session, Burrow, looking more and more like he could be the Bengals' next franchise quarterback, reportedly had an engaged give and take with everybody from Bengals president Mike Brown, head coach Zach Taylor, director of player personnel Duke Tobin, and offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. One club official, not among that group, said it was the best interview that he ever attended. So... That wow. definitely a good impression was made. So well, that's that's good. That's good, and uh, obviously it did did him some favors. Also, kind of saying the right things when interviewed in the large media spectrum, uh, asked about the Bengals getting getting drafted there and whatnot. You know, I, there was another a little bit of chatter from uh, a guy who does not really <laughs> speak highly of the Bengals often, and Colin Cowherd on his show, and he kind of he kind of mentioned some things about. It wasn't really necessarily to Burrow, but, you know, he kind of mentioned, he talked about Vince Young and odd throwing motion and the wonder lick stuff. And, you know, that those are, those are some of the other metrics I think you want to, you want to look at the wonder lick, at least when it comes to quarterback. And when you say, the reason I say that is when you talk about the interview being a stellar interview, supposedly with Burrow, that usually bodes pretty well in terms of, you know, the Wonderlick stuff, the football IQ stuff, just a guy who gets it, right? I mean, it, it's, it just presents well, especially for the most important position on your team. So that that's uh, that's good to know. I appreciate you chiming in with that, John. Um, with that being said, by the way, before we get to this, apparently our the Facebook uh, link is not uh, working very well for some reason. We're looking into that. I'm not really sure why that's occurring. It could be a Facebook issue. Um the, the video is up there, but it, I guess it cuts out. So I apologize to those of you trying to see us via Facebook for this particular episode, but we'll work on that getting fixed. If you are trying, join us on YouTube live or catch the show after the fact if you're able. But this brings us, John, to our sound bite of the week. We've been kind of doing these somewhat frequently, infrequently, whatever. But this is uh, this was brought to my attention from someone within the Jim Rome show. We've played another quote, a soundbite recently in the form of Carson Palmer talking about the Cincinnati Bengals, but we've got another one and one that is a bit more flattering from a a media guy that has been pretty flattering, at least more flattering to the Cincinnati Bengals overall over the years than most. And that is Pete Prisco of CBS Sports. He was recently on the Jim Rome show talking about Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati Bengals and the outlook there in terms of, you know, the, is the sky the limit, I guess, uh, with Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati. So we're going to play that for you right now. We're talking to Pete Briscoe. Now, Pete, this morning Joe Burrow said that he does want to be the number one pick, that he would play for the Bengals. What do you make of that fit for him in Cincinnati? 
Oh, I think it's a great fit. I, I talked to him off the podium for a little while, and he's got that edge to him yeah, that you does. want from your quarterback. I mean, he, he's not, uh, you know, a guy that's going to back down from the challenge. He's been involved in a bunch of them over his life, you know, trying to get to where he was last year when he went to LSU. And he said this, when he went to LSU, it wasn't a great program from a football standpoint. Look what it became. So I think he's up for it. I think he's looking forward to it down the road from his home. And they have a good situation for a young quarterback. A.J. Green will be back, whether he gets a new deal or he gets tagged. They have Tyler Boyd's a good number two receiver. If John Ross can ever stay healthy and he can run, he can help them. Then you look at the offensive line. Jonah Williams is coming back to play left tackle. That's like an extra draft pick. And Joe Mixon was phenomenal in the second part of the season last year. It's a good situation for a young quarterback. So, I mean, I I think a lot of us kind of held that sentiment, John, for quite quite a while, but I, I – Again, it kind of is nice to see a national media guy seeing, kind of getting through the weeds a little bit and seeing some of the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, to use multiple metaphors. And, you know, it's not like Joe Burrow is coming in. He's coming into a situation we know what the ownership's like. We know what management issues are like. We know some of the shortcomings in the scouting department, all of that stuff. But there is talent there. He's not coming to an absolutely dry roster. Yeah, and Prisco can act like you know a, a sad old man with the get off my lawn mentality a lot, but he's always been, I think, on the Bengals side, especially when they had that playoff success. He was always a guy that appreciated what Andy Dalton did. But you know, the the, the whole thing about this narrative is that like pe- people want to defend that the fact that the Bengals have, have had success and the Bengals have, have a good roster, and that's never really been the the real issue, the real root of the problem. And Prisco did a good job of explaining why not, because for the most part, for the past four years, they haven't been successful, not because of the things around the quarterback, but because of the quarterback play itself. And also, you know, defensive and coaching issues as well. But I mean, you know, like we always say, when healthy, this roster is pretty good surrounding a quarterback. And that hasn't really gone away, even with some drafting issues. So uh, yeah, like he nailed it. Uh, Green's going to be back at least for one year. Joe Mixon is still here. The offensive line should be a little bit better with Jonah Williams back. And yeah, like Burrow can come in immediately and have much more success than compared to going into like, you know, Washington or Jacksonville or Detroit or any other of these teams. Right. And I, I didn't really necessarily for those who saw it on either, I think it was Bengals.com. And I think John, you had relayed some of these quotes on CincyJungle.com. I didn't really like Duke Tobin's answers in, ter- in, in terms of these criticisms where, you know, we're, we're 12th in winning and, and this, I mean, yeah, that sounds nice in some respects, but your goal shouldn't be that, 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 that you shouldn't kind of put a feather in your cap about, you know, Oh, we're, we're top half of the league here and we're, you want to try and be the best. I mean, it just, it just kind of came off a weird way to me, but maybe I'm picking nits there. I do want to talk a little bit before we move on to the combine and some of the, the players and whatnot that we'll be watching. One aspect you touched on it, Pete Prisco touched on it, AJ Green being back with the Cincinnati Bengals. Zach Taylor in his press conference at the at the combine basically said as much. We want AJ Green back. You're I mean, I know there's some cons to it. Overwhelmingly, I, I would say there's pros, but I don't know. Were, were you shocked that he came right out and said, "Hey, we want him. We're, we're we're doing what we can to get him back, and he's not going anywhere." Um, not not too because I think if you read the tea leaves and you read the writing on the wall, like this was almost inevitable. Like the reports have been, at the worst case scenario, he's going to get tagged. I don't think that the Bengals would have danced around this and during the trade deadline about you know standing their ground and not inter- entertaining any offers if they weren't going to bring him back in some capacity. Like there's no way they look at you know the the career that AJ Green has had here and all the things he's done and let him hit the open market. Like the, they value him enough where they will be, they will be willing to pay him about 18 million for, for one year under the franchise tag and at least use that as a vehicle to give them more time to come up with an extension. Because at the end of the day, this is a, this is a tricky in term. This is a tricky long-term financial decision that they have to make because for as much good as AJ Green has done, he's going to be 32 in July. He's only played nine games in the past two years. And there's a question of whether or not the return on investment of whatever deal they give is going to be met by the end of, by the end of it. I think for sure they want him around for more than just one year of Joe Burrow's career, but they have to think about what's best for the for the team, and they have to, they, in their minds, they have to set aside some money for Joe Mixon, maybe another extension here and there this summer. So, like, they obviously want Green back, and they're going to give him back in some capacity. But this just gives them more time to 
ironing out the real question of, of it is whether or not he'll be here in 2021. Right, right. And I think, you know, some people in the live YouTube chat are echoing this sentiment here. But, you know, I think I, I think in terms of developing your young quarterback, giving him a veteran presence at wide receiver is, is a good move. I mean, the last – you lose A.J. Green, all of a sudden wide receiver kind of becomes a big priority in the draft or in free agency, probably more so in the draft – uh, because, I mean, if you're not going to pay A.J. Green in free agency, why would you go pay? I, I, I wouldn't understand that logic. But, you know, I, I, I think it just it opens up the draft more for you, uh, it, at least immediately. It gives your franchise quarterback a veteran presence and a guy who is a borderline Hall of Fame player right away. It's just the right move. It might be a little more expensive than most people want to swallow, but, you know, it, it's it's the right move. And, um you know, there, there are risks to it, especially depending on which route they go, whether it's just a franchise tag or a longer term deal. There are risks because of the injuries. But overall, I think I think the pros outweigh the cons here. So another little tidbit we wanted to throw in there with the soundbite of the week, courtesy of the Jim Rome show and Pete Prisco of CBS Sports. We hope you enjoyed that. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this program on a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, and of course, our YouTube channels. So subscribe to those channels, leave us a rating. We appreciate your support. We appreciate the compliments and and the uh, constructive criticism we sometimes receive from you folks. But we just like that you tune into our program and hopefully you enjoy it. So let us know if you do. We appreciate the support, as I said. John, we are going to move on to the Combine since we've had the Combine itself, I should say. Um, because we've talked a little bit about the interviews and whatnot. Let's talk about some guys that we are pretty interested in seeing how they perform at the underwear Olympics, right? I mean, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. basically what this is. And like, like we said, there's, there's quite a bit of stock to take in some of these performances. There's also kind of an overreaction piece to the combine, but, um, Really, I mean, to to be quite honest, I would think that the interview portion is one of the most important facets to this. Sitting down and getting to know these kids is is a big deal. But there are other facets and other things that teams look for from specific players at specific positions. How many do you want to run down here? Do you want to do like three? Do you want to do five? What are you you thinking? Well, let's let's keep it at a clean three. Okay, let's do it. Kick us off. Kick us off. All right, I'm going to start at the linebacker spot, but not a guy that is probably going to be a top 50 pick. And that's Cam Brown from Penn State. He was a guy down at the Senior Bowl that just a physical specimen in person. He's 6'5", 230. I think he measured in somewhere around that the dimensions. Um, but, and, and, you know, you, you think, okay, big linebacker kind of fits the, the old mold of what a linebacker used to look like. But honestly, on tape, he's pretty fast. Yeah, he measured in 6'5", 233, 34-inch arms, 78-inch wingspan. He's only 21 years old. He's not going to turn 22 into April. But honestly, for a guy that size, you don't expect him to move as well as he does in space. And he's very, actually very fluid, got clean hips that can run with tight ends of the scene route. Um, but obviously, that size, that length helps him in coverage as well. Um, I think Pro Football Focus 
compared him to Bobby Okery, who was a mid-round pick for the Colts last year and ended up being their highest-graded rookie linebacker of last year's class. I think with, with the Bengals' specific uh, position, they're probably going to be drafting two linebackers when they completely rebuild this. But And Brown could be the guy that, depending on how he tests, could be available in that fourth the fourth to the fifth round, fifth round range where they could have maybe an extra pick in there. But if he has a good week, which, I mean, he's definitely explosive and fast on tape and he's got fluid hips, he could skyrocket up the board and be, become a top 100 player where the Bengals, if they like him enough, would have to take him to maybe be the first linebacker they do take. But in terms of size and athleticism, he's a nice bet to bet on in terms of translating into the next level. He just really has to put it all together. But this is... Uh, an arena that you know he can shine more than others especially in a linebacker class that does not have a lot of going on in terms of the middle rounds okay so i'm going to preface this i've said this a bunch of times this is a draft that could very well be a meat and potatoes draft aside from joe burrow for the cincinnati Bengals, lines linebackers you know that sort of thing really bolster that kind of stuff depending on what they do in free agency. But, uh, you know, offensive, defensive line, linebacker, those are positions I think they'll address and probably multiple times during the April draft. That being said, the combine is often a showcase, at least the eye-popping stuff, for skill position players. So that's kind of where I'm going to focus a little bit more, your defensive backs, your tight ends, your wide receivers, your running backs, that sort of thing. Those are the guys who run the fastest, they look the best in, in these, you know, uniforms, if you want to call them that. And, you know, they, they kind of look like the beasts uh, a lot of times in these workouts. So that being said, I'm going to go with a guy uh, that we haven't really talked about. And we're trying to avoid, by the way, we're trying to avoid some of the players that we have not spotlighted or we're trying to avoid players we have spotlighted. Mm-hmm. On, on our prospect watch list. So we're trying to go a little different route here. So that being said, I'm going to look at one of the guys I'm going to keep an eye on, wide receiver Jalen, and it's Rager, I think, uh, based on his Twitter account. He, he let everybody know how to pronounce his last name. He said it's Rager, um, which is a pretty awesome last name. But comes in at 5'11", 206, 31 and 3 inch arms, 9 inch hands. Not an overly big guy. Seven so far, seventeen reps on the bench press. I'm just curious to see how he runs. I'm curious to see how some of these things time out because this is such a loaded wide receiver class. This is such a loaded wide receiver class, and I think that, unfortunately, fair or or unfair for some of these guys, these these workouts this week and at their pro day are actually going to say a lot as to where they go because this is one of the deepest wide receiver classes we have seen in a long time. We talked about Michael Pittman Jr., the kid from USC. He's got the size. How's he going to run? This kid doesn't have the size, but he's got a lot of tools. He's got uh, a lot of shiftiness. He's got a little toughness to him. Seems to be a really interesting player. He's he's out of TCU, obviously. Uh, NFL.com says his NFL, at least Lance Zierlein, says Curtis Samuel um, is his NFL comparison. Take that for what you will, but I am really curious to see. And by the time we get to this weekend and whatnot, we will know more, but I'm really curious to see how he performs in these tests because he's a guy they're going to need some of these guys to end up rising up with the CD lambs and the Jerry Judy's and that sort of thing. And we know from a guy that's currently on the Bengals roster, John Ross, how he ascended in the draft because of his 40 time and whatnot it's not just going to be the 40 time. It's going to be the splits and the cones and all that kind of stuff. But um, he's a guy I am very interested in seeing. I know we just talked about A.J. Green being back, probably back in the fold. The team's going to get back out and take from injured reserve. They're going to have Tyler Boyd, but they need a little more sizzle to that group. This could be a guy they look at, and it could be, you know, could be a day two guy. Absolutely. And with, with, how, with how deep that position group is, Rager seems like a guy, depending on how he tests, could be available at 33. And that's why that pick is going to be so valuable as a, as a trade piece as well, even if he's not there. Um, I'm going to go towards the offensive line a little bit here. And uh, Matt Pert out of UConn, um, I, I was kind of intrigued with him you know, before the combine, and I was kind of curious how he was going to measure in. He measured in 6'6", almost 6'7", 318, 36'5", arms 86 and a half inch wingspan so the dude is just 
go 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 gadget. Like I know Andrew, I know uh, Andrew Thomas had a lot of <laughs> a lot of hype with with his with his way. And I think he had like thirty six inch arms, eighty three inch wingspan. So Pert is actually a little bit bigger than Thomas, and that definitely shows up on tape. But the thing about like what I want to see is that you know at UConn, his tape is pretty solid in terms of just just a clean pass protector, a guy who gets out in space pretty quickly, a guy who can mirror a lot of pass rushes pretty quickly, but. Also, you know, with it being UConn, you know, even though it is in the American, they do play some, they don't play really great football. They play some pretty good opponents. So you want to see if that athleticism, is it actual real athleticism that stands to the test of these other power five guys and stands to the test of NFL averages for the offensive tackle position? Or does it just look a lot more athletic because the guys he's going up against just can't really do anything about it? And he has light feet, you know, for, for a guy that size, that's the length and athleticism combo that you want. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of rawness to his game, and he's not going to be able to start immediately. But I, I want to see if the athleticism that we think is there on tape actually is actual tangible athleticism that matches up with the NFL averages for his size. Because all he has to do, all he really has to do, is just test an average at an average pace with that size. When you you know compare to his overall density, they're going to come out with really good athleticism scores for the offensive tackle position. He's got the length, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism. If that's the case. Like that's a guy that the Bengals could take in in the mid rounds as that development option at the tackle position at the tackle position because I think unfortunately you know for a lot of Bengals like Bengals fans expectations they're not going to probably be looking at, a, at drafting a starter in, in in this draft class at, at offensive tackle but Pert will definitely check the boxes in terms of size and maybe athleticism for a guy that they can develop behind a Bobby Hart. Yep. I was going to save my next guy for last, but I'll, I'll kick it off with him because a couple of our listeners are talking about him in our live YouTube chat, Brian Kramer and Will Smith. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't go with another LSU guy because I am of the belief that the Cincinnati Bengals will probably get – well, I don't know about probably, but they, they will be thinking about grabbing a guy in which Joe Burrow is comfortable. I, I just think that, that they're going to try and placate their franchise quarterback. They did that in different ways with Carson Palmer. I think they're going to look at maybe getting a guy who has a rapport already with Joe Burrow. I don't know if that's going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because running back currently isn't on the upper pecking order of needs. A team may see him and all of a sudden he's a day two pick and that would kind of be a waste for the Cincinnati Bengals if they use a running back, uh, a pick on a running back in day two. I think he day three makes sense for the Bengals, but I'm just going to say this for the same reasons about Rager. I want to see how he runs. I want to see all of that. I want to, I want to reiterate the state of the Bengals running back group right now. Joe Mixon is in a contract year. It sounds like he's going to get an extension for better, for worse. Some people hate that idea. Some people like it. But he is in a contract year. Gio Bernard just signed a deal, but, you know, there's talk of maybe him being a cap casualty. I don't see that happening, but it could be, it could be the case. You've got one, one guy coming off of a devastating knee injury in the – preseason and then you got Travion Williams who had minimal impact as a rookie there so there may be a crease in there for a guy like Edward Solaire to join the Cincinnati Bengals I still find it doubtful he comes in at 5'7 207 9 and 5 8 inch hands and 29 inch arms Really, you know, I see Devontae Freeman as as his pro comp by, by some. I see more Maurice Jones-Drew. I just see a guy who brings a load, a guy who brings multiple dimensions in the in the game, and I think we're, where he's going to wow. It's not going to be necessarily the 40 time. It's not going to be some of those things. I think it's going to be some of these drills that you see catching the football. And you're going to see him do different things that they ask, running patterns and stuff at the combine. I think if he participates in those types of drills, you're going to see some things where you're, you're going to say, wow, this is a very versatile guy. And if he's used correctly, he could be a big piece for a team, depending on how they want to use him. But I am very, very interested to see how he performs at the combine. According to uh, the Draft Network's Ben Solak, he was the by far the best guy that he interviewed at the podium. He's a well-spoken guy, and Burrow has nothing but praise for him. Did you know, though, that there was a coach who wanted to see Edwards Hilaire work out a wide receiver? I, I think I know where you're going with this. Continue. 
No, like I, I'm just saying, like that's that's ridiculous if yeah. you have watched anything about him. So uh, it just goes to show, like, wow, well, clueless some of these guys of the combine well, really that's, are. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> uh, and if you remember, the Bengals tried to do that a couple of times with previous guys uh, that were on their roster. They tried to convert them into different positions and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, five seven. I don't know how. I mean. 29 inch arms like what like what do you expect him to do out there like right. he's a running back and he's a damn good one i think right. P- i think pff uh, coined the ray rice comp which i guess is kind That's of a good one yeah yeah and yeah, depending yeah. on your feelings on him but ray rice, yeah. yeah i mean yeah off, off the <laughs> side um, uh maurice jones drew ray rice Devontae right. Freeman. those are all uh i think pretty legitimate comparisons if they didn't have Mixon, i would love to target him but um but moving on um i'm gonna go back to the defensive side of the ball one of my favorite cornerbacks in this class is Jalen Johnson out of Utah. Um, just from a production standpoint, he accounted for a lot of uh, Utah's not only passive flexions, but solo tackles. And those are two of the most important production metrics to look at when predicting future success at the position. He's also, I think, uh, PFF's fourth or fifth rated cornerback as, a, as it has a first round grade on, on now. There's a lot of varying degrees about where he's expected to go unfortunately though he played through most of 2019 with a torn labrum and he's actually going to have that um surgery to, to repair that after the combine but luckily we're going to we're, we're going to get to see him test fully and i really want to see how his hips look in, in terms of just the on-field drills and how his three cone and short shovel measures up because i think that's really the one glaring weakness with his game right now he's a very physical cornerback he finds the ball a lot of times in the air he reminds me a lot of William Jackson in that regard, where he's just he's just a you know the same size, about six foot, one ninety five, and he, he he utilizes that length pretty well in both press and off coverage, and he's pretty physical as well, and he be, he's able to find the ball, but sometimes you know his hips get a little bit too tight, and he's, he's not able to turn up field. But everything else about his game is really solid. He's a he's a student of the game. I think there was one game where he had like interception, and he was asked about it, and he said, "Well, yeah, I just read." I just memorized his coverage from film study and I broke on it really quickly. So instinctually it's there. It's really just a couple questions with his athletic profile. And I think the combine is a chance for him to really solidify any of those concerns, or if not, he becomes this day two target for the Bengals because at cornerback, you have questions with Drake or Patrick. If, if, if he's going to be cut or, or if he's staying, you obviously have the free agent question with dark West nerd. And with William Jackson, you have to wonder, you know, what, what are the talks with him being extended? Are they potentially going to let him test the market? It's, it's almost like that sneaky need, just like a wide receiver, where there's a lot of uncertainty in the future. And because this is such a great cornerback class, there's going to be a lot of guys like Johnson in that day two conversation. So I really want to see how he handles the agility test and whether or not that's a that's a box to check or if that's a red flag to, to um, signify. Yeah, that's a really good one. I uh, saw a little bit of him uh, from, from Utah. Good, good player and, um, yeah. Very intriguing guy. Uh, I am going to go – I'm going to stick with offense. I do have a bonus one that I'll talk uh, briefly about, but I'm going to stick with offense, and I'm going to go uh, – maybe I'll win some friends in the Ohio area with Adam Troutman, the the tight end from Dayton. 6'5", 255, uh, 32 5'8", arms, 9.5-inch hands. So far as we sit here on Wednesday recording the show, 18 reps on the bench press – Pure athlete, pure pass-catching guy, needs work. He's a project, but if you get him in the right system, if you know how to use a guy like that, if you find ways to get him the ball in certain situations, red zone, third down, he could immediately be a very effective guy. This This is the type of player that has nothing to lose when it comes to the, to the combine small school guy expectations are a little low. There's a little bit of buzz about him. You know, could he do something if he doesn't? Well, you know, he's a project guy anyway. So whatever, if he blows the roof off of Lucas oil stadium, all he's doing is raising his draft stock. I think this is a guy you're going to see probably go regardless of how he does at at the combine. I think he's going to go a little higher than people think. There's probably going to be a, a, a one of those successful teams that have has a late pick in a round that you know maybe has an established quarterback. Green Bay, New England. I know they've got Tom Brady not in the fold yet, but you know he's going back there. A team like that that needs a pass catching target, a big weapon. I think you know you could see a team like that. The Bengals may also want a younger, more durable replacement for Tyler Eifert. 
and this would be a guy that they could look to to fill that void. They were not great at times in the red zone last year, and some of the reason why is they didn't target the tight ends, which doesn't really – it kind of contradicts what I'm saying about the Bengals taking him. But regardless, maybe they didn't have the faith or they didn't have the guy out there that they wanted, and this could be a guy that they use. I like this kid. I'm really interested to see how he runs, how he performs in drills, and as we all know, the tight ends, at least physically looking <laughs> at the combine, they are the most kind of the most imposing specimens um, out there as as they work out at the combine. So that is one of the guys I am going to look at. One bonus guy, I'm not going to go too far into him, but I am interested in Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, kind of yeah. kind of interested to see how he does. Some mixed opinions, especially if you kind of do the mock drafts and stuff. You know, he's he's a guy who's there in the third, fourth round, sometimes fifth round, that sort of thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's upwards of the set being picked in the second round. So a lot of different opinions about him. Uh, might be a guy that if he if he shows that he's a bit more fluid in these drills than he did at, at certain times on tape, it could help him be a solid day two pick. So that is another guy I've been – I'll keep an eye out. Anyone, say, yeah, go for it. Um, Trotman will not lead the second round. I'll say that right now. I really? Think yeah, I'll, I will. I will put money on that. Um, he, he was he was at, at times the best receiver in general at the Senior Bowl. He was so fluid at that size, and I think one of the things he said at, at the comment was that I rather you know I rather like throw a key block than actually catch it. So he's got the George Kittle type mindset that coaches are going to fall in love with as well. But as long as he tests at least at an average rate at, at that size, he's not leaving the top sixty. I'll say that right now. Yeah, that's uh, it's a fair bet. You know, he's he's kind of been a, a riser. You know, I know he he lit up the senior bowl, like you said. So, um, you know, he, he translates that to the combine and it, it could be sky's the limit for this kid. That's going to do it at least for guys we will be watching. I mean, of course, we'll be watching other guys, too. But these are some of the guys at the top of the heap that we'll be watching. A lot of different position groups. I'm seeing a lot of comments about, you know, we need to wait on tight end. And what about Drew Sample? And I, I know, I know. But you can never have enough pass catchers, especially at the tight end position where you create mismatches and you have a security blanket for your new rookie quarterback. That's just my opinion. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We've been talking NFL Combine. We've been talking about Joe Burrow dispelling the, the rumors that he does not want to play for the Bengals. He publicly said that. He also met with the team, as did Tua Tagovailoa and Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor, all kinds of others. other Bengals figureheads have been giving us all kinds of nice soundbite nuggets at the Combine. The Combine will be going through this week and weekend as uh, players continue to work out. Uh, so keep it to NFL Network. They'll be obviously feeding the masses, <laughs> feeding the masses the Combine coverage. So check it out there. I'm sure we will all be somewhat glued to the Underwear Olympics occurring in Indianapolis. So check that out. John, it's time to drop the mic and get out of here. What do you want to What do you want to say on your on your exit? It's been a long and crazy season for Bengals fans. I think with how the season turned out and how a lot of draft stuff kind of entered the conversation a little bit earlier than we wanted to, and it's just kind of interesting how this media circus has kind of united Bengals fans. I guess as a rally defense towards the national media attacking their nature, or whatever, but. The receipts do exist, and I remember all of you guys who want to chase Young or Joe Burrow, and I will not forget. So, yeah, there you go. I, you know, I, I was thinking, and I guess this this maybe would have been better timed last week when I initially thought about going off about it, but it's really kind of a shame for the Bengals fans that, I mean, they've longtime Bengals fans have had to endure a lot, uh, and a lot of heartbreak, a lot of poor seasons, that sort of thing. You endure a poor season with a new coaching staff last year, and it nets you. You kind of say, okay, well, you know what? Just just be bad and get the number one pick and just hit the reset button, right? And instead of kind of enjoying the process, being able to enjoy the process of getting one of the most hyped up quarterback prospects in recent memory, probably since Andrew Luck, maybe, maybe even since the Manning brothers, 
you have to endure this talk about the guy doesn't want to play here. He doesn't want to play in Cincinnati. He doesn't want to play for the Bengals. The Bengals are a trash organization, that sort of thing. And it's not just poor us Bengals fans or poor Hootay Nation. It's also poor Joe Burrow because he gets up to the interview stand. He's asked these questions and he's like, what are you guys talking about? I don't even know where you're coming up with this kind of stuff. I have never said that. My family has never said that. That has never come from my camp. I don't know where you're coming from (laughs) with this. And instead, we've had to kind of use the time where we should be like ramping up for the Bengals, having the number one pick and getting an exciting quarterback prospect. We'd have to, we have to roll our eyes and sit here and actually somewhat worry if this is going to be the actual case with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. It is not. He has dispelled those rumors, but hopefully for the next month now, two months, I should say, the Bengals and their fans will be able to kind of enjoy the process, focus on other players, focus on other needs, and move forward from, from this narrative that has been created from the, from the media. I don't know why that has been created. I know the Bengals aren't necessarily the most popular team, and their ownership isn't the most popular in the NFL. There you go. There you go. That's the answer. I, I, I kind of I think I hit the buzzer on that one. But even so, even so, I, I think – it's time for us to kind of, you know what? Joe Burrow said his piece. He's coming to Cincinnati if they draft him, when they draft him, and all indications are that they will. So let's enjoy the ride from here out and enjoy the NFL draft. But before that, free agency and see what the Bengals do, which, by the way, Duke Tobin said that the Bengals may be spending a little bit more than we're accustomed to. I'll see it when I believe it. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals uh, podcast. Hey, Keep it to our channel. We actually gave you quite a bit over the past calendar week or so. You got Orange is the New Black, the podcast from uh, Ace Boogie and Zim Hooday. You've got Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. There was a recent one that just went up on our YouTube channel, a video about outside linebacker prospects. So check that out. He's also got an audio interview with Robert Weintraub. So check that out. Uh, a lot of different stuff. We got we got to listener questions last week. We had our, our weekly episode last week and then our weekly episode this week. Obviously, as more updates come, important updates, free agency, whatnot, we'll be bringing you more and more content both on this show and the other shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. So keep it to our channel. Subscribe to our channels. We appreciate the support. John, I'll, I'll see you next time, my friend. See you next week. All right.